everybody, check it out. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to start a podcast. It has all the tools in one place that you need right from your phone or computer to edit and publish your podcast. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listing platforms such as Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started now. I'm using it right along with you. You're listening to The Frankie Files. FrankieFilesPodcast.com October is back to school for Frankie Files Podcast. This month, we want to bring awareness to the fact that many teens and young adults going back to school get indoctrinated and recruited into cults at that time, going to learn and getting redirected into dangerous situations. Our hashtag back to school for this month was inspired during my interview with Dr. Lalish. Dr. Lalish explained that One thing we can all do to help raise awareness is to tell young people going to school about one-on-one cults, about indoctrination and recruitment into cults. Show them a video. Well, watch out for people like Larry Ray. Look into that. October is back to school for Frankie Files Podcast. If you would like information on cults in the news, please join my new Substack. FrankieTees.substack.com You're listening to The Frankie Files. FrankieFilesPodcast.com Today our guest is Andrew Pledger. He's a religious trauma survivor who was raised in a fundamentalist Christian cult, the IFB cult. He brings awareness to spiritual and religious abuse. His podcast... Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger offers a platform for people to share their stories of surviving toxic religions and cults. Being a part of the LGBTQ plus community and experiencing religious trauma has inspired him to pursue psychology to help others. In the meantime, he's a religion recovery coach helping people grapple with life after religion. His vocation started with his interview with Josh Harris, Kiss Dating Goodbye author. He's appeared on several podcasts, and now he's the social media manager for the Indoctrination Podcast, hosted by cult expert Rachel Bernstein. Andrew Pledger is on a mission to spread awareness of these issues by using social media platforms. Well, this is a very interesting interview It brings to light what teens who are raised in Christian fundamentalism go through, or teens who are raised in a cult, what they go through, the decisions they have to face. I think it's important for people to realize um, specifically how fundamentalist Christianity started in, well, at least this version of it started in the 1900s as a reaction to modernism um, and the fear of like um, differing um, perspectives being taught in school like um, evolution for example that was a big trigger to these Christian churches who were I guess originally like just Baptists and they 
wanted to completely influence everyone in their congregation. So as a reaction to modernism and differing perspectives and the progress of science, um, these people um, in these churches decided to separate from the outside world. They were like, no, we will have our own schools, our own colleges and our own churches. And we don't want any of our followers um, in, in an area outside of our um, church and really cults. They wouldn't call themselves a cult, but they are. But yeah, they don't, they didn't want anyone to be outside of their um, cults and learning any information that was different from that because they knew if they allowed people to hear different perspectives and be around diverse people that that would lead to um, really um, being tolerant and accepting of other people and possibly changing your views based on new evidence or new perspectives that you learn and that was a threat to um, fundamentalist Christianity because the thing about fundamentalist Christianity and like a lot of different cults is that it is it, you know, it claims it is the absolute truth and that it has the answer for all the world's problems and that it is God's will and their view that they spread their form of Christianity all across um, the world. And to them, like the end justifies the means. It doesn't matter how it gets done. And sadly, that's how mm-hmm. um, a lot of violence is justified in these fundamentalist religions is because mm-hmm. they see them as like messengers of God, really. And what fundamentalist Christianity, it's absolute. First, it claims the Bible is absolute truth. And specifically what they think they have the answer to is um, they call it the gospel. And I heard this all the time growing up, and I'll explain it because I know not everyone that. And so the gospel basically is the plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. Um, And basically, you're indoctrinated into fundamentalist Christianity to believe that you're basically um, so depraved and so worthless. And so you need a savior. And so they convince you you're such a horrible person, really, and that you are deserving and that you're deserving of eternal torture and hell. Good news. They have the answer. They give you the problem and they give you the solution. But <laughs> basically, they're like, oh, OK, well, we have the Bible and, you know, Jesus Christ, he came down to die on the cross and to save us from eternal torture. All we have to do is, you know, pray to him, ask for forgiveness, confess our sins and admit um, that were terrible and say that we trust in him to save us from hell. They yeah. empty you completely of yourself, really. They mm-hmm. break you down and get you to the point to get in that place where you just feel so empty and you're so dependent on the group. And it is emotionally satisfying, you know, when you're completely broken down and empty to have Mm. then this thing you're dependent on and thing you feel certain of. And that's the thing about fundamentalist Christianity is it provides this um, delusion of complete certainty. I see there's a lot of cross-posting on baptism Mm. and fundamentalism. Yeah. Can you straighten Mm -hmm. me out on that, please? Yeah. No, it's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely a complex system and like they can overlap. And you know okay. it's interesting because the the cult that I grew up in is called the IFB, which stands for Independent Fundamental Baptist. So it was a Christian fundamentalist Baptist church. Even being a part of 
um, the Southern Baptist Church was seen as heresy when you were in the IFB. Because <laughs> they didn't do things our way. Our way was the only way. And anyone who strayed away was like going to hell or not right with God. Or mm-hmm. maybe, maybe they got some doctrines right, but God was more pleased with us, though. So we were the okay. better ones. So the thing, my experience is... Because it's interesting because I grew up in the IFB and then in my college years, I went to a Southern Baptist church out of curiosity because I wanted to compare the two experiences. I'm like, okay, this is a different kind of Baptist. Um, (laughs) And really what I noticed with the Southern Baptist church that I went to Mm -hmm. um, was that they weren't they weren't so strict about all these rules. They weren't so legalistic. They still had rules, but like when you compare it <laughs> to growing up in a very legalistic environment and you go in that's more relaxed, it doesn't seem as bad anymore at least, but it's, it, it, was, it still had its doctrines and dogma. They weren't hateful, which surprised me, screaming okay. and yelling and all this, a lot of, there, there were some moments of fear mongering, but it wasn't so excessive as what I Okay, so the gospel like Baptist church Christianity fundamentalist church was a lot of screaming and uh, talking down to their mm, clergy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was the difference is, and that's what I, mm. I noticed. And even as I got older growing up in that, did it make sense to me how growing up in the IFB cults, they always told us that we should be grateful um, that we were born <laughs> into like the right <laughs> religion, which is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And how the only right religion. Mm, yes. <laughs> Gee, that sounds familiar too. Oof, I know, right? And uh, so many red flags looking back. But you know, of course, at the time you don't have the experience or the language to always recognize those things. Like especially were, as a child. Oh yeah. Definitely moments of like something feels wrong, but like in that mm-hmm. environment, you're really, really taught to self-annihilate yourself. You're taught that your heart is evil, that you can't trust your mind or your thoughts, that you can't really think for yourself, and all your decisions should be based on the doctrine of the church or praying to God or using the Bible, Um, and anything outside of that was unacceptable. So a lot of like um, information control, kind of like referring to Stephen Hassan's bite model, because after leaving and like using Stephen Hassan's bite model to compare to my experiences in IFV, I was like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, that was definitely a cult. <laughs> I would honestly say the church was just, it was a cult in and of itself. I, I, was, I sometimes Got use it. church and cult interchangeably, which they're not mm-hmm. the same, but it's, I, it's mm-hmm. basically, it's, I call the IFB the IFB cult. Now, a lot of people yeah. who've escaped do, I hear them, they're like, yeah, the IFB cult. You were talking about moments where it was like, hey, this doesn't make sense. Since you were born in to... Mm-hmm. This Christian fundamental church, your parents mm-hmm. are hundred percent indoctrinated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and what age are you starting to say, God, this doesn't compute? Probably like thirteen is when I started like being like, okay, some things just don't feel right here. And you know, growing up in that, I had a lot of negative experiences, and I always, yeah. every week I left church, and I always felt so sad or felt so much shame. Um, I never left that place feeling good, but I was told I was supposed to feel that way. I yeah. wasn't supposed to feel good about myself at all. It was interesting to feel that, but then I'm like, oh, well, I'm supposed to feel this way. I'm supposed to feel 
this constant mm. shame because I'm such, like you said earlier, a worm or worthless. That really is a lot of weight psychologically on a child and let alone any yeah. person yeah. at all. The whole idea of preaching that you're worthless, well, I'm worth something because you need me to be here <laughs> or there wouldn't be a church. Yes, let's that's just so let's scoop that out of the way. <laughs> mm, yeah, you need so me true. to feel important right now, preacher. And we're talking early, recent, because you're only 22. So this is mm-hmm. pretty fresh stuff. Yes. Okay. And then your doubts began to manifest when you just started thinking about what college you want to go to. Yeah, I think that was um, at that point, like even a little bit before that, I think, you know, in my teen years around like probably like, I don't know, 14, 15, 16. Um, okay my own experiences with my own sexuality didn't match with what the cult taught that caused cognitive dissonance because what I believed didn't match what I was experiencing. I mean, so I had to deal with that. I'm like, okay, what they're teaching about sexuality, I don't Mm -hmm. relate to that. Like I don't conform (laughs) to the heteronormative standard that they're talking about. The IFB cult has such a narrow definition of it. That was very binary black and white thinking, which is very typical in cults. To me, I was like, where do I fit? Like, I don't fit in this black and white Mm. pattern that they're saying. I didn't. So that was very confusing. And I didn't even have internet access till I was like 17. So there was a lot of confusion in my teen years, most definitely. Mm. I never got to talk about sex. It was, you know, my parents just let the church do that, which is other cult. And that was a bad idea. Oh, and so God. you've got a repressive religion that doesn't accept sexuality as realistic, forcing this on you. And then your own, at the same time, your own person, just developing as a person mm-hmm. and then yeah. realizing, I mean, these don't reconcile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I might be in the wrong place. Mm, okay. Yes. <laughs> and on the Josh interview, your parents had uh, a different college in mind. And you wanted to avoid the severity of that college. Mm. So how did that go? College was something I'd always dreamed about. But, you know, my home, my parents, they homeschooled me and my brothers. I have two other Ooh. brothers, a younger one and an older one. Yes, they homeschooled us our entire lives for the, for the purpose of indoctrination into fundamentalist Christianity. So yeah. once we graduated high school, the control wasn't going to stop there. They then um, use their money to manipulate all of us into going to Christian college. They're like, okay, they're like, we'll help you pay for college, but it has to be a Christian college. Right. It's interesting because even though they said Christian college, they really meant fundamentalist Christian college. And that's what they really meant. Because there are a lot of Christian colleges out there that are more progressive and more forward thinking that they would never want me to go to. So what they really meant was fundamentalist Christianity. And so then that made my options so much smaller. And so the right. options were Pensacola Christian College, um, Hiles Anderson, which Hiles Anderson was notorious in the 80s for being a fundamentalist Christian college and, and was a cult in and of itself. And my parents graduated from Hiles Anderson. So they grew up in all that that IFB environment also in that mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they were heavily indoctrinated. And so for options for college, Pensacola Christian College, it is a fundamentalist Christian college. It is just like the church that I grew up in, the exact doctrine. Yeah. And they are just, they were so controlling. And I realized that if I went to Pensacola Christian College, it would be no different. 
right. than back home because there was so much control at Pensacola. Like you weren't even allowed to walk off campus. You're listening to The Frankie Files, frankiefilespodcast.com. Without letting someone know where you were, who you were going with, at what time, you were on campus arrest if you were there. Pensacola Christian College didn't even allow you to go to a church um, outside of campus. It had its own church everyone Ooh. had to go to. Um, well, so you're just revealing to me what's going on with teens and Christianity and religion. Mm. These churches, the faith prison is an aspect I guess I didn't realize. Mm. I obviously didn't want to go to that because at that time, okay. um, through questioning my sexuality and once I finally got like internet access at 17, mm-hmm. really began to question just fundamentalism in general and started like reading about um, the militancy of it, the black and white and the mm-hmm. um, how it was psychologically harmful to your mind and your brain. Right. And that was a lot for me to even take in. There were moments where I couldn't read any more information about it because it was just the cognitive dissonance and the psychological discomfort. Andrew, you're 17. You're thinking about what college goes to. You get uh-huh. internet and you find out there's like millions of other gay people just like you out yes. there. <laughs> hey, there's a lot of hope and identity crisis averted mm-hmm. there. Yeah. That, that has to be a shock. Most definitely. It's just... You're fresh. This is happening in real time as we speak to you. So, yeah, I, I can see how yeah. um, you're still in it. I'm just trying to imagine you, 17 years of severe indoctrination, sexual repression in mm-hmm. the doctrine, yeah. and parents, mm-hmm. and then you're, like, going online going, wait, new yeah. rules. Mm-hmm. That must have been a, a great moment. You're just thinking, okay, well, now it's just a matter of time. Thing with these fundamentalist Christian colleges is that most of them, or really almost all of them, are not accredited. So that means if you get a degree from them, you can only be hired in like Christian fundamentalist environments. It keeps you in the system. Wait a minute. Yeah. And like when I say fundamentalist, like, okay, for example, Pensacola Christian College, it's not accredited. There are certain programs that are, like their nursing program is accredited. So because it has to be, or, you know, obviously oh. they couldn't work <laughs> outside of that program. And I think right now Pensacola might be working on accreditation. When I was there looking at it and I saw, I'm like, okay, like it doesn't matter what degree I get. It's not going to matter at all. I have to work for a church as like an artist or a graphic designer or work in a Christian yeah. school as an art teacher right. or something like right. this is not ideal. I had a guest, Ryan, on from Truth That Heals podcast, he said similar. He was doing missionary work and going to school that they created a school so Mm. that during the missionary work college at the graduation, he says, the priest said to him, you can't go up because your graduation is not accredited. So you're not really graduating. It's it's like setting you up for failure in life. Mm. And you're bringing up how cults segregate themselves to keep you. I guess I'm kind of shocked at that one. Okay. For me, I was like, how can I find a college that's fundamentalist Christian and it's accredited so that it will actually be worth something? And one of the colleges that I found was Bob Good Jones job. University. 
mm-hmm. um, where they had a degree that actually was accredited and it was worth something and it could, and if I needed to transfer credits, it could be transferred across institutions right. across the USO. Um, and the thing is, it was, even though Bob Jones University had its roots in fundamentalism and still does, it, it claims that it's, um, let's see, like non-denominational Protestant, but that's not true at all. It's definitely still fundamentalist. It was hard for my parents to even let me go there because they didn't conform to all of the doctrines in the IFB cults. And one of the big things in the IFB is that the King James Version of the Bible is the only legitimate version, and any other version's not legitimate or it's of Satan. And Bob Jones did not take this King James Version of the Bible stance as the only um, legitimate word of God. And so that bothered my parents. They're like, and you know, it's it's quite an extremist view. And like, I knew that when they said it. And obviously, I didn't let my parents know that I thought that. And so what basically made them okay with me going to Bob Jones is that, you know, Bob Jones, thankfully, like, it, it wasn't technically a Bible college. It, you know, it was a university with mm-hmm. all kinds of majors. Of course, it had Bible majors, but it had um, careers or things you could pick from all across the board, a lot of um, okay. variety of degrees to choose from, which that's what really drew me to it was that they actually recognized you could have a career that wasn't being a preacher or a youth pastor. You were so savvy to navigate around the restrictions and do your research so your time wouldn't be wasted. That right there, you're doing, can I say God's work? No. (laughs) (laughs) How many teens drop off that cliff? And then you would have to do another four years Mm. for uh, undergraduate work to get into a degree out of the church. So screaming from the rooftops type of stuff right here. Mm. Yeah, so definitely. So you enter uh, the environment of Bob Jones University. Mm Mm-hmm. And what was that like? Yeah, I mean, of course, if we're going to it, I was really scared. Like, I, I wasn't, mm-hmm. I still wasn't happy about, I really, personally, I didn't want to go to a Christian college, um, but my parents put me in a double bind, really, because um, mm-hmm. it was either stay in the IFB cult at home or go to a Christian college. And so neither were desirable at all. I knew I needed to get away from my parents to start really um, becoming my own person and like, discovering my own beliefs, attitudes, and values, and what was really personal to me and who I was. Yeah. Um, because, you know, even though, even then I didn't have the language then, but the, I have the language now. It's like, I grew up in a very codependent family, honestly. Yeah. Um, very toxic. We weren't allowed to express any of our um, wants or any needs. Um, you know, always had to be constantly people-pleasing and suppressing our needs really getting into that environment i mean it was it was very similar to what i grew up in they they still had a lot of strict rules um but thankfully i was able to find my way around a lot of the rules and i'll give you examples of some of the rules that they had okay so first okay so for some of the rules they had okay like you weren't allowed to really listen to any kind of music outside of that was Christian you can it was just so strict you can basically listen to like classical music and hymns that's what mm-hmm. that's what was allowed you know if you have your earbuds in your dorm and you're laying in your bed no like I didn't care and they can track that um yeah. so that was a rule and I know that sounds dumb I'm sure to a lot of people but it's just uh, no no it's <laughs> it's extreme and it's I extreme. also was not able to listen to outside music or read outside material 
during mm. 8 to 22. So it sounds as restrictive as an indoctrination is. Mm. Yes, and like the media <laughs> we, we were allowed to consume, of course, was very controlled. Um, right. You couldn't watch anything above PG. And you're almost an adult, so that's funny. So you're, what, watching reruns of Sound of Music? That's allowed? Yeah, being at Bob Jones, they kept us very busy with a lot of religious activities to keep us indoctrinated. For example, we had chapel like four times a week. Right before lunch, it was like from 11 to 11.35. The chapel was basically a time of worship, and then we had to all say the creed together, which was a really culty moment and always gave me chills when we did it. The creed is basically the statement of faith or all the doctrines that if you go to the school, you have to agree with. They have this creed on the screen, and we're all reciting this information, and we're not supposed to question it. We're supposed to claim it as absolute truth. We were all supposed to memorize it our freshman year, and all had to memorize this creed and then you know, be given a little quiz or test on it to show that we know it and that we agree with it, basically. And so I I honestly don't remember it because whenever the creed happened, I would always disassociate. For example, like like Jesus created the world in seven days or whatever. Um, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He died on the cross, um, saves for our sins from hell, blah, blah, blah. These basic fundamentals of Christianity, Mm -hmm. really, that's what it was. And we all said it in unison in a room full of like 2,000 plus people. Especially like by my senior year, I would mm. look around at people. I'm like, oh my gosh, just socializing. And through those mm. years at Bob Jones, um, for example, we were required to go to church two times a week. We could actually go off campus to go to churches, but they had a list of approved churches that we had to pick from. <laughs> you're getting all these directions on what you can and can't think, and then you're going online and you're indoctrinating yourself. Correct. I know. Like, it must have been an explosion in your head happening. <laughs> this is where I'm going to jump ship to the real world. Even though Bob Jones was accredited, um, yeah, they really they you know they don't equip you well. I think to function outside of the cults at all. Okay. I think even at Bob Jones, I don't think Bob Jones would exist without parents forcing their children to go there. Honestly, I met so yeah. many people. They were like, yeah, they're like, I had to come here. Like, it's whatever. Oh, my gosh. Andrew, is this a lot like troubled teen institutions? Because it's like uh, the boarding school mentality. Um, You're closed in. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's interesting because to compare it to the troubled teen, um, I think – they don't go to the extreme, I feel like, that the Troubled Teen does with okay. the um, one-on-one um, yeah. training a person because it's mainly done in groups. Um, okay, okay. There's no one that's usually meeting with you one-on-one. Unless you get in trouble, you do. Yeah. Um, um, so, like, for example, I, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, it is an aspect similar to the Troubled Teen industry, how you're closed off, you're being indoctrinated, but it's more mm-hmm. in a group style. So, for an example, we were required to um, have a, or be in a discipleship group, and we had to do that like three nights a week at like from 10.30 to 11 p.m. We were required to do it in the – it was in the dorms. It was usually like two or three dorm rooms of people, okay. which there were usually three people per dorm room. So it was the, – the discipleship group was usually like nine people, nine guys. The purpose of the discipleship groups was to basically just repeat and talk about what was taught in chapel. And continue. Keep you indoctrinated. <laughs> yeah. 
And yeah, everyone hated discipleship groups. They're like, this is so, people would complain about chapel because they're like, everything they talk about is so basic and so watered down and so dumbed down. And they talk to us like we're children and like, this isn't not, this is not deep. Like this is not <laughs> <laughs> like, this is just like Sunday school stuff as like children. And it's just, it's very insulting. When I, as I'm listening and I've never heard a story like this, just so you know, I'm uh not familiar with this whole uh, Christian religious schools and colleges, mm. just now, just now, you've described several required meeting things that take a tremendous amount of your time away mm-hmm. from studying and sleeping. Yeah. I mean, you're like 10 hours a week due at these religious meetings, and then you also have to keep your grades up and do the homework, mm-hmm. which I've been in college. It can be overwhelming, So yeah. depending mm-hmm. on the credits you take. Yeah, so it's definitely, and another thing we were required to do is we were all required to join a society, and in the in at Bob Jones, a society is their version of a fraternity or sorority. <laughs> it's honestly like the cult within the cult. When we did it, to me, I'm like, this is just like chapel, but it's run by college students. I'm like, this is no different because we had the time of worship, we had the time of a sermon that was taught for like 15 minutes. So it was the same exact thing, but just with college students. <laughs> um, just that reinforcing of the indoctrination. And the only thing different was that they might have like a five-minute game at the end. You were not allowed to leave at all during that yeah. time where you would get demerits. It was, I think now yeah. it's like, if you leave an event like that, you would get 25 demerits if you left or didn't show up. You have Is to that get affecting your grade? No, it just affects okay. your autonomy on campus. They Once you get demerits, you're on their radar, really, of like who's breaking the rules, who's not. And at some points, you're required to go in for biblical counseling or discipleship um, if they think you don't meet yeah. their standards of what a Christian should be or if you're not playing a doctrine of rules. Can we talk about that? Oh, yes. Yes, most definitely. Okay. I mean, here you are having uh, doubts about your faith. You're there because of your parents. Also, an element of coming out. Mm. And so you're, so you go to a religious counselor. And that was something that I really never wanted to do because I didn't trust it because I knew those people were okay. not trained to deal with people with mental health. You're listening to The Frankie Files, frankiefilespodcast.com. Just for a little background on biblical counseling, these people are literally taught to use the Bible to treat mental health issues. And the background these people have is that all mental health issues are spiritual. And spirituality is such a broad term, but in fundamentalist Christianity, To them, spirituality is like reading the Bible, praying, and having a relationship with Jesus. So if you're having mental health issues, there's a lot of victim blaming and a lot of shame. And it really, being in that kind of environment and that counseling really worsens your mental health a lot Um, when you're struggling with trauma and different things. um, It's very unethical, Mm -hmm. the way they approach it, and very dangerous. But the way I got into that was, you know, at Bob Jones and, you know, even before Bob Jones in my teen years, I I had struggled since I was like 15 or 16 with my mental health, Uh, more specifically depression. By the time I was 20, I was entering like my fourth, like major depressive episode. I was always blamed a lot. I was always told that you just read the 
Bible more and pray. And it was insanity doing the same thing over and over and like nothing changing. <laughs> when I was in my college years, I think it was, I think it was after it was the fourth depressive episode I had when I was 20 and this was in 20, mm-hmm. the summer of 2020, I discovered the term religious trauma. And that's when it clicked for me, um, discovering and researching religious trauma and understanding um, and learning about it that I was like, oh my gosh, like I have been traumatized from all these years of all these toxic doctrines and all these different things and really like psychological and spiritual abuse I had to endure for years. And just reading all the symptoms and how it's comparable to complex PTSD. And I was like, oh my gosh, Um, it just totally um, just clicked. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was hard to process. I'm like, oh my gosh, how do we even deal with this? This is a lot to even take in. This seems like a big mountain that I don't know if I can deal with or get over. I would like to highlight what you're saying. Um, whenever we realize we've been traumatized, we're standing on this cliff. Like, is mm-hmm. there anyone here to help me? Yeah. <laughs> you kind of have to go on a searching mission. Uh, even, you know, therapy may or may not be effective for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it can be super difficult. Yeah. But that moment is, I just want to highlight that some people don't make it through that moment. Mm-hmm. And you did. And we're so glad yeah. to have you, my friend. Uh, and like, that was the thing for me. <laughs> so why I thought it was so important to speak out because religious trauma did nearly take my life. It brought me uh, to the point of suicide a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, for me, you know, me too. Okay. Oh yeah. So like a lot of us have been brought to that. And it's sad. It has, that needs to come out. Yeah. It has to go to that point. Robert J. Lifton says that the uh, transition from victim to survivor is deciding you want to live. And you did that. And so that's so that's you look it right in the face. Don't you? Yes. Oh, wow. You look it right in the face like, am I going to do this? No, I'm not going to do this. It's oh. not going to be like this. My, my abusers are not winning here. Mm. And so so congratulations on that accomplishment, Andrew. Oh, thank you. With no support. Just yeah. get along. Mm. You did it, my friend. Oh, thank you. Just have to say that. Oh, thanks. That's so sweet. Um, mm-hmm. I so think- the religious counselor... Gaslit you more, right? Mm, yes, it gives a lot of gaslight, a lot of blame, and it caused more trauma. And yeah. basically, because I didn't, there were some things I didn't agree with on the, the doctrine. He's like, "Oh, I can't counsel you anymore because so it doesn't matter how depressed or suicidal you are. They will not if you don't agree agree with their doctrine. They'll just let you go. They will not care." And yeah. um, for me, though, what happened was. I decided to the next semester to continue discipleship. And it was a very emotional moment, I think. And it was interesting because throughout my whole life, like I've gotten saved like five times, said that same prayer to get into heaven over and over. But still, there's still always that doubt around it. If you don't follow the doctrine completely or internally agree with things. Right. There's always that doubt uh, to make you scared that you might not be saved. You know, and like I had a very emotional moment from a sermon because a lot of messages at Bob Jones are very spiritually and emotionally abusive. So that was similar um, to what I grew up in. And I remember even like my very last semester, just this preacher telling everyone how we were all worthless 
pink pieces pieces of blob in the universe and i was like are you this isn't mm, like i'm so done <laughs> it's not true Just, i'm a seat warmer at least yeah as i was with this counselor long story short um mm-hmm. i wanted to be discipled specifically to really be with someone one-on-one and dig into christianity at least their version and understand it and decide if i wanted to leave or not and what that person did and what they didn't realize they did is that they convinced me to finally deconvert from Christianity after <laughs> digging into it and learning about it. And mm-hmm. um, once I could like tear apart the core doctrines, like it'd be inerrancy and that like the world was like 6,000 years old and all these different crazy things and that the Bible was perfect. It was like, once I tore apart those things, um, that yeah. those things are very foundational to fundamentalist Christianity. So when you actually discover the truth and that those things aren't true, um, it's quite a relief because you're like, oh my gosh, like these are lies. You know, this mm-hmm. is not the word of God. It's not perfect. You know, this is not absolute truth. This is just a result of, you know, a culture creating this and learning from life and, uh, and then learning about mythology and understanding how that's been rehashed from a different perspective and still respecting it, but understanding um, the context okay. and the history behind things. Yeah. What's the line you say on your website? You refuse to live by dogma. Oh, I choose humanity over dogma every day. Uh, then you went on to do an important project of mm. uh, photography. Yeah, sort of like ev- many repressed people through time, mm-hmm. you used art to say what you had to say, and it's totally amazing. So it looks like you used super imposition of to create the images of a mm-hmm. worshiper who happens to be tortured by his doctrine. Yes, yeah. I used um a lot of different overlays, Photoshop. Um, but for me that I started making that series, um, it was really um the fall of 2021, so a year ago. It was my senior year at Bob Jones, and it was really my senior project. And I was like, I want this to be the most personal thing to me and most authentic. And I used it to really dig into my religious trauma and my story and like process those mm-hmm. emotions and understand how I felt. And like the core theme behind this story and of this series is that you are your own hero. Um, Mm -hmm. that to me is like the core message of it. And like how I portray that is I show the different stages of what I experienced as I experienced religious trauma of like praying, struggling with my mental health, turning to religion, religion wasn't helping, continuing to suffer. And there are different aspects of religious trauma that I portray, like the fear of hell. So like, there's one photo of me, someone portraying me sleeping and like, they're like sleeping in hell and there's like demon and it's like very freaky stuff, but like that's how I felt and that's why I experienced it. So I wanted to put that um, outside of myself and express it. And like there was the fear of like spiritual warfare and different things. But the thing with this um, series is that this person is suffering and their religion is not helping them. It's actually making it much worse. And the person is locked in a room and they have the only resources they have is their religion. To me, represented my life, how I was locked away. And my only resource was, or source was religion. Of us were, sadly. And Andrew, it can drive you mad. Religion is the, perhaps the cause of the angst. Most definitely. Okay, so now we're at the point in your story where you 
do a podcast interview mm-hmm. on, actually on Instagram. Yeah. With Josh. And then yes. you talk about your project. I love this moment precursor of things to come where mm-hmm. Josh says, are you going to get in trouble for doing this interview? <laughs> You're like, I don't care anymore. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. How did that feel? Yeah. I think it, it felt so empowering um, to share my story mm-hmm. in that uh, with mm-hmm. Joshua Harris, because he was someone I looked up to a lot because he publicly okay. deconverted from Christianity in 2019 and he admitted and apologized for all the harm he caused. And you don't, you don't see people um, in Christianity apologize for the harm they've done. And to have someone publicly say I was wrong, the things yeah. I believed and taught caused harm was just so powerful to me. And it made me respect him so much. And so getting close to being done with my photo series, I reached out to Josh in like November of 2021 Josh Harris, and he's the author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye. I don't know if anyone's in, like familiar. His book greatly influenced purity culture and evangelicalism and fundamentalism. Mm. Um, you know, that idea of like keeping your virginity and just all these toxic things around sexuality in general. I reached out to him and I was like, can I, can I be a guest in your show and talk about my photo series? I really want to find an audience who could really relate to this and um, take it in. Mm-hmm. And once he got back to me, he's like, oh, I'd love to have you on. And I honestly didn't think he would get back to me because he had thousands of followers. And I'm yeah. like, oh, he'll, this DM is going to get lost or it's going to be in like okay. the hidden. And I'm like, but I reached out and he did get back. And when he said yes, I was like, I had the, the moment of very, a lot of mixed feelings. I'm like, oh, this is so exciting. And I'm like, oh, no. When we're doing these interviews and speaking out as a survivor for the first time, well, mm-hmm. for me, yeah, the nerves kick in pretty yes. good. It just it feels like an unburdening, doesn't it? Mm, yes, it was like this this just weight that was on my spirit just mm-hmm. lifted off and released when I you know when I was done with my story and it was just so incredible and um, I know a lot of people asked you know why I did it why would I you know it was my last semester at Bob Jones that I did the interview mm-hmm. with him it was funny because I did it the day before I went back to Bob Jones you bold man so I interview and then I'm walking on Bob Jones moving back in and people are looking at me like what the f- are you doing here you know it was interesting because no one actually said anything to me but from mm-hmm. like the way people treated me in body language I could yeah. tell that a lot of people had already been talking and about it. I was like, oh, great. And it felt, I felt very vulnerable in that situation and awkward. And I'm oh, like, yeah. okay, like me, I was just waiting to be expelled basically those first yeah. couple of weeks. Um, yeah. Just going on and. Stylish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make sure this happens. I got expelled almost basically like 10 days or two, basically two weeks in that semester. And I was yeah. just expelled because, because I disagreed with the doctrines of Bob Jones. I didn't agree with the cults. And so they expelled me. And, you know, it was my last semester. And to me, though, a lot of people were more upset about it than me, honestly. You just freed yourself from another year of indoctrination. Yes. (laughs) To me, I had finally gotten to the point where I really prioritized my mental health. And I'm like, it is not worth staying in this environment and keep on destroying my mental health. And like at that point, um, to me, being expelled and being excommunicated was powerful because that environment 
um, and, you know, Bob Jones and fundamentalist Christianity, it represented everything my parents wanted. It wasn't what I wanted. It was what my parents wanted me to be, what they were trying to mold me into. Part of becoming my own person was leaving that and becoming an individual to be excommunicated in that way so publicly. Yeah. We all choose our exit. We do. <laughs> like, if I wasn't excommunicated, I didn't feel like I could walk away from that. You know what I mean? It's so, because for me, I'm like, if I graduate from this, number one, I have this label stuck to me my whole life. I'm a Bob Jones graduate mm. and I don't want that <laughs> with it. And so I just let the my actions <laughs> and then the consequences with those work itself out because I'm like, to me, I was at a strange moment of peace. You know, I knew what I needed to live a healthy life, knew to get out of there. And I'm like, you know what? I was respectful in my interview and I told my story authentically. And if they have a problem with that, that's fine. And, um, you know, that's not going to stop me from living out um, the purpose that I choose for not my life. Like, they're not going to tell me what I have to do with my life, that I have to push this religion and I mm-hmm. have to convert all these people. I don't really what bothered me was just the dehumanizing of anyone outside the group. Right. That was just a big turnoff to me um, mm-hmm. in that environment. And then I just wanted to care about everyone and not picking like, oh, I'll pick this group and people outside are evil. But you don't believe in the us and them anymore? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, once I left, I was like, you know, now I'm free. And I can you know, go online and use my story to inspire other people. And, you know, they can yeah. see their story in mine and help them process their own um, trauma and experiences. Cause I've, I've had so many people reach out to me and be like, Oh my gosh, like I relate to a yes. lot of these things and you made me realize so many things I didn't realize. There are some people are like, Oh my gosh, like this is too much for me to handle right now. Like, mm. <laughs> this is- and you have gathered your thoughts so quickly and your website is so wonderful, very detailed explaining the church. Mm-hmm. You're split with the church. Why? Yeah. Thank you. And since leaving, you know, I've really just begun, you know, getting on social media um, to bring awareness to religious trauma and mental health and cults and to share my story. And, you know, being on podcasts is a part of that. And um, it's been great to work for Rachel Bernstein. So I reached out to her in February to be on her podcast. And once, you know, she was like, oh, yeah, I'd love you have you on. And we, we recorded it in February. The, the interview didn't come out till July of this year. <laughs> it wasn't until April that one of her coworker or workers reached out to me. They're like, we're looking for a social media manager. We really mm-hmm. love what you're posting on social media. If you're interested, we would love for you to work with us and to help grow our podcast. I was like, I would <laughs> love that because yeah. and she's just, oh, she's made such a difference in so many people's lives. And so mm-hmm. I've been working for her um, since April of this year. Her podcast is called the Indoctrination mm-hmm. Nation, capitalized, so clever. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> love her podcast because you know she she's a cold expert and a therapist, so she really understands the sociology and the psychology of it. It can you um, educate people and help them understand that aspect and to even you know grapple with the effects of that indoctrination. Back in April, too, I started my own podcast, Speaking Out with Andrew Pledger, to give a platform. You know, originally it was an IG Live, but I converted it into a podcast. But to me, I started it because I knew the power 
of sharing your story and how it can empower other people. And the more and more people we can get to speak up about these issues, um, the more we can help solve the issue of these institutions, because these institutions aren't trying to fix themselves. No, they don't see anything wrong. It's everyone else but them. The government's not going to step in because of the laws with Mm. freedom of religion. Well, uh, you've covered so much. One of the things besides your artwork that I thought was so amazing, uh, just the the putting yourself out there takes a lot of bravery, Andrew. Mm. No, thank you. Um, The Trevor um, hotline was specifically uh, put in place for LGBTQ plus youth at risk. Um, So that people in that line, they are trained and know how to deal with the situations and you know of course you know that company hires people who want to help lgbtq plus people so there's no worry of that discrimination or people not knowing how to deal with that yeah it was trevor hotline um trevor hotline mm-hmm. i think so yeah. if anyone college or high school age uh, or other age lgbtq issues can call the trevor hotline Mm-hmm. That's yeah. pretty great. Yeah, it is. That's pretty great. Company. Mm-hmm. You're listening to The Frankie Files, frankiefilespodcast.com.